Tony. And this is Matt. And this is What Did We Miss? The podcast where we explore our pop culture blind spots one episode at a time. Uh, you're right over there. <laughs> you okay? Yeah, I, I was, I was, I was saying the the phrase along. With, I was like being like a a puppet, you know, and I was moving my mouth along to you saying one episode at a time. Yeah, and it was very like Muppet puppet flappy mouth. Yeah, there's no nuance to it. <laughs> no. It was more just like. Up and down. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wop, 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 wop. Kind of like a... Anyway. Like a Pac-Man. Like Pac-Man. Yeah. Uh, so we've focused on some topics in the past that are long-running series, whether they're TV or um, book series, comic books. As a rule, we've, you know, sort of started at the beginning uh, but this week we're we're throwing a curveball and we're we're starting with the very last thing, which uh, I think will be an interesting discussion. Uh, I'm wondering how it's going to play for people who are listening, because um, <laughs> this week we're talking about Hellboy, but specifically we're talking about Hellboy in Hell, which is the you know the canonically the the final Hellboy story. Um, mm-hmm. now you and I, uh, are both very familiar with Hellboy. We've been fans for a while and, uh, Hellboy is still going on. There are still other series that are happening because, you know, it's, it's sort of a great evergreen character that, uh, you know, can just kind of get dropped into any sort of adventure whenever. But, um, but today we are focusing on, on what is officially the, the last story in this character's um decades long saga so matt what what's your background with with hellboy i i think the first story i read was i want to say the wolves of saint august Mm -hmm. i think that was it i i believe uh there was a series called dark horse presents uh dark horse is uh one of the, you know, other than Marvel and DC and Image, Dark Horse is another publisher. Uh, they have a lot of IP. They've published a lot of Star Wars comics. They did. They used to in the past. Um, Alien, like random stuff like that. Uh, so I think that's how they kind of stayed afloat for a while. And then in the 90s, they started doing the uh, same thing Image was doing, which was, you know, creators content. And they own the creators got to keep the rights to their to whatever they created uh you had frank miller with sin city um the we talked about on a previous episode concrete um i think mad madman was on dark horse for a while i think he jumped around <laughs> a bunch of different times sure um um our beloved Hellboy. jimbo Yep, yep. He's he was also on Dark Horse for a while. Is he still on Dark? No, he's on IDW. Yeah, he, he's, a, he's yeah, he's over at IDW now. Yeah, but anyway, I I believe there was this compilation miniseries called Dark Horse Presents, and that was the first time I had bought any Hellboy comics, and I believe that was right at the beginning of Hellboy, so like ninety three, ninety four, probably. 
and then I immediately purchased the first miniseries, which was called Seed of Destruction. Um, prior to that, I was aware of Mike Mignola, but I think maybe I was too young to, to get his artwork. I thought it was maybe a bit too crude for my mm-hmm. tastes. And obviously, in the early 90s, all the big... Uh, Marvel, all the the artists that moved from Marvel, the image that that was like the thing. So everyone loved Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane, Eric Larson, and uh, Rob Liefeld, and so Mignola's work is drastically different from that. So I think at the time I was kind of like, oh, I don't, you know, this this isn't good artwork. Uh, and then when Hellboy came out, and and there is the. The first story I read, uh, which is in black and white, and you could see his use of shadow in there, and I think I really started, uh, like, I guess understanding it at that point. Like, oh, okay, I, I see what he's doing here. Um, and I really loved those first few stories, um, Seed of Destruction in particular. Uh, and then I, I don't, I honestly don't remember when I stopped collecting Hellboy. And I think what happened was, was, it, it, Hellboy is not like a continuing series. He'd just be like, okay, here's a new mini series, and it'd be like four issues or six issues, sometimes one issue. Uh, sometimes there's a short story collected in some other thing. So I think keeping track of it uh, maybe didn't become a chore, but after a while, I think I got it in my mind like, you know what, I'm going to read this at some point. Um, and then it got to a point where there was so much of it, I was like, I'm just going to wait. And then I'm going to get it all when it's all done. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like a snowball kind of thing where eventually it was just like, oh, I, I'm just so backed up that I'm just going to wait and eventually I'll have it all. And that's exactly what happened. I A few years back, I purchased the entirety of Hellboy. Um, that doesn't include like he's in a bunch of other series. He's in BPRD. Um, he'll pop up still like you said in 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 a bunch of um never under the title of just hellboy but you know hellboy with the bprd and et cetera et cetera so i purchased all of just the hellboy stories so that's like four massive omnibuses which tell the mythology of the character and then two omnibuses of short stories which kind of fill in pieces of his life Mm -hmm. um so and I kind of, I had these big sets and then I just didn't read them for some reason. Uh, and then finally you were like, we've been talking about doing a Hellboy episode on the podcast for a while because we both like Hellboy, but we had never read the final Hellboy arc. So we thought it would be like an interesting way to sort of get caught up on something that we were fans of, which we don't usually do, but it was something that was new to us. Um, so at that point, once we decided to do that, I just read everything. Um, and I was kind of alarmed with how little I had actually read, um, going back to when I had started reading it. Uh, I have the seeds of destruction or seed of destruction pretty much memorized. I must have, you know, worn my copies out when I was really young. Mm -hmm. Um, but the rest of it, I was really like, I didn't know where it was going. Uh, so it was, I was, I was pretty surprised with, with, how things turned out and the turns the stories take um yeah what what about you what's what's your history with hellboy 
Uh, so my history with Hellboy kind of goes back to when I really <clears throat> started getting into comics. Probably my, I'm going to say my junior year of high school. Uh, my friend Dan uh, was, uh, you know, he was in an illustrator and always taking art classes, but he was a big comic book guy and we started hanging out more and, and I, you know, I really wanted to get into comics. I was familiar with obviously the big two, uh, on a superficial level, you know, from Saturday morning cartoons and, you know, Marvel and DC's biggest characters are big enough that most people kind of can, can take, Oh, like this is Batman's deal. This is Spider-Man's deal. Uh, but I was like, Dan, what, like, what should I be reading? And he was like, well, this guy, Grant Morrison, is doing really wild things with X-Men. And you should check out Hellboy, which is about this uh, this demon who fights Nazis and uh, giant cosmic monsters. And I was like, oh, that checks a lot of boxes. And it was right around when the Conqueror Worm storyline was still coming out. Um, I think... Uh, I remember having that conversation probably as the third or fourth issue of that series was was on shelves. So um, somewhere I have those individual issues to make up that arc. But um, you know, like you, from there I I went and got the collected editions of Seed of Destruction and Wake the Devil, which are the two the first two big storylines, and then two other anthologies that have the smaller one shots. Um, and I tried my best to stick with it. Um, you know, I, I think, like you were saying, Hellboy didn't come out every month. Uh, when it came out monthly, there was like a story, a big story arc that he was putting out. Um, otherwise, it was kind of, you know, kind of one or two shots that would happen maybe once a year or every other year. Um, I definitely had a Wizard subscription for a couple of years. Wizard was like the big comics magazine. So that was always that would always tip me off, you know, before we were online all the time and knew when a new Hellboy was coming. Um, that was how I was prepared for when issues were coming out in the comic book store. Um, but I fell off probably in the mid to late 2000s, um, maybe around uh, the Darkness Calls storyline. Uh, it, it was just one of those things where I found myself with less disposable income and again, the infrequency of it. I, I just said, you know what? I don't, I don't need all the individual issues. I'll wait until I'm settled somewhere and just get the collection when it's all done. Not knowing that eventually it was going to be done. So, uh, a couple year, a few years ago when Hellboy in hell happened and, you know, I had sort of been keeping tabs, um, as new stories were coming out, just to kind of have an idea of what was going on with the character. And it, there were some pretty out there twists and turns that, you know, we'll, we'll get into a bit later. Um, but yeah, it's, I think at this point it's the one comic from when I started reading them in high school that I've, I've maintained a relationship with, you know, I stopped reading Marvel and DC stuff a long time ago. Uh, I fell off of other uh, more indie or creator-owned books like Powers, and uh, you know that was sort of like Hellboy and Powers, my big like, you know, uh, street cred comics, I guess. You know, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't just read Spider-Man. I read these 
these, these <laughs> smart artsy comic books. Um, so I think before we keep going, maybe if, uh, since we are going to be discussing the end of the line for, um, you know, Hellboy continuity, um, this is your, your first and final warning. If, if you're all caught up with Hellboy except for Hellboy and Hell, stick around. If you are not and don't give a shit about spoilers, stick around. If you've never read Hellboy, um, you know, maybe this isn't the one for you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, 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 before we get into spoiler stuff and before people start jumping ship, sure. why don't we give, let's give our pitch for Hellboy. Like okay. Why? Why Hellboy? Why? Why do we like it? Why did we continue to to hold out hope that we would we would read it in its entirety at some point? Mm-hmm. You know, like we we remain fans while not reading these comics. This is something that I you know I love Mike Mignola's artwork. So like, um, I always knew I would get back to Hellboy. So like, so let's let's make our pitch. Like, what 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 is it about the character that 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 you dig uh i think if you have any interest in in mythology from anywhere um horror pulp fiction lovecraftian horror weird fiction um there's really no genre of of uh kind of like of B movie pulp that Hellboy's not afraid to dip its toe in. Um, you know, it's a world where full of monsters and ghosts and myths. And I think what's really interesting about it is that it's just, it just is. And, and nobody seems phased by the existence of it. It's always just when it's a problem that it's, you know, yeah. becomes a, a problem for anybody. And I think that's, what's really interesting. It's not like, um, you know, it's, it's not another, secret hidden world kind of mythology it's all just kind of out there and and hellboy is just a guy who just happens to be this you know seven foot tall bright red demon who sands down his horns um yeah it's just it's just a lot of fun and it never takes itself too seriously and the artwork is 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 really striking and if you're you know not into uh, you know, muscles and spandex and, and looking for something visually very, very different. Um, you know, this is, this is much more expressionistic and moody and, and gothic and it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's just interesting. I think if, you know, if you're familiar with the Guillermo del Toro movies, um, the first one came out in 2004. Um, I think you had highlighted the biggest distinction between those movies and the comics. And that's, in the movie version of Hellboy, Hellboy resents his looks and he wants to be human and he wants to fit in and it takes place in a very modern world and a big point of the Hellboy movie stories is him not fitting in. Um, And I think that's sort of an afterthought completely in the comics. Like Hellboy just goes everywhere and they're like, oh, you're Hellboy. People know who he is. Uh, and there is a burden to being Hellboy in that he's prophesied to bring about the end of the world. Um, and that's part of the movie and that's part of the comic. But beyond that, he's just doing a job. Uh, and there is no sort of 
oh man, like my face, you know, and, and I remember that scene vividly from the comic where he just says, I can't do anything about this. And he points to his face. Um, I, that, that doesn't happen once in the comics. Um, and I know mm-hmm. we had mentioned this at the end of last episode, but I like the movies more than you do. Um, mm-hmm. I think the first one is, is flawed and, and um, in particular, they, they add this FBI agent character who is a complete dud um, and is totally unnecessary, sort of like an audience surrogate character, um, which doesn't work. But I think the bare bones of Seeds of Destruction are in there, and um, the stuff with Matt Rasputin is good. And and I think they delve a little deeper into Hellboy's relationship with his surrogate father, um, which is wonderfully played by John Hurt, uh, and, which isn't really a factor of the comics as well. Um so I like that. And I think the second one kind of goes in a different direction. The second Guillermo del Toro movie. Uh, and it feels more like a Guillermo del Toro movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe that's why Mike Mignola was a little unsatisfied with both adaptations because they deviates a bit. Um, but the most recent movie tries to be more like the comics and fails completely. I think because when you're watching it, you could definitely feel a lot of people trying to have their say at what the movie should be. Mm -hmm. You could feel it as you're watching it, it going in all these different directions. And there's so much bad ADR humor and, um, and some visuals that, uh, could be cool. And, and, and they're taking from taken directly. They're taken directly from the comic, but, um, just some shoddy uh, visual effects work. Yeah. Yeah. That's my biggest problem with the movies. I haven't seen the latest one. So with the Guillermo, and I really love Guillermo del Toro. And I'm I'm one of those people who like, I remember you and I saw The Shape of Water and you're like, he's made this movie before. I'm like, yeah, and I love it every time. Uh, <laughs> but like Hellboy's the exception because sure. there is so much angst about him wanting to be accepted. And like, so the, the BPRD is the Bureau of Paranormal Research and Defense, which is what he works for. And in the movies, it feels mm-hmm. more like uh, kind of like a, a low budget men in black and there's a love story that like it just i i think all that sort of it, i think it's trying to be something other than what makes hellboy so interesting which like we we're saying he just he's just hellboy yeah. and like you know when he shows up at some small european village uh, no one's surprised to see him just as they're not surprised that there's a ghost haunting their village they're they're concerned that the ghost is causing a problem. Like everybody is just okay with all this creepy shit existing. It's sure. just when, like when it's malicious, then it becomes a problem. And that's when you call Hellboy. But like, mm-hmm. there's no one running from him. There's no paparazzi treating him like Bigfoot. You know, he's just, yeah. um, I, I think that's Del Toro in general, because as he's, he's talked about ad nauseum, he's just like, Oh, I see myself in the monsters that I love. And, I don't fit in. I'm an outcast. So that's in every single one of his movies, uh, from from Kronos all the way up to Shape of Water. So you know, yeah, I get it. And you know, like I said, the things I like about it, you know, I dislike those same things that you just mentioned. But I still think the good stuff is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and I do like 
I, I Ron Perlman's terrific, and I like the visuals. I like I like a lot of the makeup and uh, process, uh, prosthetics and effects and whatnot, especially in the second one. Um, but yeah, there's something I don't know. Maybe he's just not the right director to to adapt it, and I I don't know who would be. Um, maybe um, maybe now that I'm thinking about it, uh, Robert Eggers would be. Uh, an interesting person to adapt it. He did The Witch and he did The Lighthouse. Uh, and mm-hmm. those movies are very much steeped in um, old world history and they're very highly researched and um, they're they're creepy and unsettling, but not in the obvious ways. Um, he, oh, yeah. He, he I could mean, make he, an interesting Hellboy. Obviously, I mean, no could, one he, would ever let him make a Hellboy movie, but... No, but you could imagine a Hellboy story that starts with, you know, some harbor master bringing him to the lighthouse be like, these dudes went crazy, but something else also happened here. So just yeah. see what you can find out. Um, well, I, mean, <laughs> I think we may have been a little over eager. Uh, so let's let's quickly, I'm just, let's like establish who Hellboy is, because I think... yeah. There's no way to talk about Hellboy and Hell without weaving in and out of some of the lore. Um, sure. So the the elevator pitch, I guess, is um, uh, in the 1940s, um, as the the war, as World War II is sort of ending, uh, a group of Nazi occultists with the help of Rasputin. Uh, tried to do some occult experiment to turn the tides in their favor. They were stopped by allied forces. What they ended up doing was bringing a a demon baby with a big stone hand to Earth. That baby was Hellboy. That baby was raised by Professor Broom, who you mentioned, um, and brought up under the watch of the Bureau of Paranormal Research and Defense. Just grew up a regular guy who happens to be a demon, and now assists in sort of like, you know, uh, doing the kind of stuff that Mulder and Scully would do, you know, doing, uh, investigating the creepy stuff. Yeah. More, um, more, more grunt. There's more grunt. He had, does more grunt work though. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> he, yeah. He gets his hands dirty and there's a lot more violence. He yes, yeah. typically. He's often punching and shooting his way out of things. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, but that. It's not like a typical superhero comic where he bests the bad guys by fighting. Oftentimes, things fall apart around him and he escapes and things die, not necessarily by his own hand, but just by the, you know, the hubris and of chaos the, yep, yeah. of, of, re, of reality. Um, and oftentimes, he's just kind of like, oh, man, okay, that, would, that sucked. <laughs> Time to Liter- move on. Sometimes, you know? literally, he's often kind of... Uh, you know, uh, he, he's not a man of many words. I mean, his catchphrase is son of a, or, um, you know, uh, I, I, I love every time he just like tells some like verbose demon or skeleton to shut up. Like he yeah. just has no patience for it. And I think that's, you know, you get into his characters like a Harry Potter or a Luke Skywalker and there's a destiny and he has a destiny and like, Whereas the movies really dwell on the angst around him wanting to fit in and be normal, the angst in the comics is his his refusal to let uh, you know a horrible destiny be foisted on him. Whether that's 
you know, to unlock these ancient sort of Cthulhu-like gods in space, um, or uh, it, it turns out he's <laughs> even when it's not a bad thing. At one point, he learns that he is the last living heir of King Arthur, and he's like, "I don't want that either." Um, <laughs> he just he just wants to like he just wants to be a person who's allowed to make their own choices um, to the point where he's, you know, so he's with this bureau for a number of stories until it kind of comes the, the, the involvement of, of Nazi occultists sort of runs its course. And, you know, I imagine maybe it's Mignola kind of getting bored with going back to that. Well, cause there was a point where he's like, fuck it. I, I like, I'm just going to leave. And he quits his job and he goes off wandering. And then he of course just keeps falling into this, situation where there is some other faction whether it's uh fairies or uh the baba yaga from russian mythology and everybody has this evil plan for him and he just doesn't want any part of it he keeps running he keeps trying to avoid it and every time he fights um, a monster or a demon or whatnot they all say like we know who you are and we know what your purpose is uh, and he's like, yeah, but I don't want any of that. I don't know that that's not for me. Mm-hmm. So he keeps running from it, um, until eventually he does discover that he is the, uh, long lost descendant of King Arthur. And, um, <laughs> he gets King Arthur's sword. And this is when most, I, th- I think this is where most stories would probably end where he goes off against the horde of demons and monsters that have come to take over the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and he he does that and dies. Uh, sort yeah. of, he you know defeats a, a a dragon who is some uh you know ancient evil from someplace. And in sort of like that monster's dying breath, she she sort of plucks his heart out from his body and sends him to hell. Hell is essentially just like Earth. <laughs> he he's mm-hmm. he's kind of it looks like well, first of all. If, if you didn't know that this story took place, if they didn't give you any dates or times, you'd probably think it was a period piece. Mm-hmm. Primarily because Mignola loves to draw European villages and Victorian-style buildings and mm-hmm. old British cities and whatnot. He doesn't really draw modern things whatsoever. Although the story takes place probably in the 90s. I don't think it ever gets out of the 90s. And hell is essentially another form of that. So maybe some of the colors drawn out of it. But he's still going into all these old Victorian houses, meeting lots of ghosts and demons. And mm-hmm. and he quickly realizes that, hey, like, death is exactly like life. <laughs> and it sucks. Yeah. I mean, there's one point where he confronts, he's confronted by a monster. Uh, and someone's like, you're just going to let them take your head off and he's like well i'm dead already maybe i just wanted to see what happens (laughs) um and as far as the setting goes yeah there's nothing really in any hellboy comic that looks like it's any more recent than um the last classic universal monster movie like it's all it's all just like musty castles and seaside shanty towns and and he, he said that when he created hellboy part of the reason for doing so was because it gave him the control to draw what he wanted to draw. Mm-hmm. Meaning monsters and demons and Victorian style houses and 
And um, even the way people dress, you know, they they have like corsets and 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 all the men are always wearing those stuffy kind of you know turn of the century suits mm-hmm. uh, and stuff like that. Yeah, and early on, you know, when he was still really messing around with the idea of um, you know these sort of uh, you know pulp magazine Nazi occultist villains, there's a lot of um, cool. Not like, not quite Adam Age stuff, but like, uh, you know, early 20th century, like robotic, you know, something between steampunk and, and, and Adam Age science fiction, a lot of robots. And then a lot of, obviously because of the Lovecraft influence, a lot of, a lot of creatures with tentacles and bugs and frogs, you know, sometimes very detailed, but I think what Magnola's not afraid to is, is, you know, render this stuff as almost an abstraction of what you're, you know, what's, what is physically taking place in the frame. I mean, there are moments where mm-hmm. Hellboy is just a, a sort of, um, deliberately, uh, almost crude red sort of form of, of his shape, really small. And there's just a lot of heavy blacks and shadows. And yeah, sometimes he'll have panels that are almost, you know, uh, you know, imagine like a, a movie cutting away to like scenery in a room and he'll just he'll just decorate pages with like odd little like occult bric-a-brac and skulls. And mm-hmm. especially when he gets into Pandemonium, which is the 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 throne city of hell, there's all these just sort of crumbling, decayed statues of really creepy looking things with like mouths in their stomachs and um yeah, it's really, yeah. Um, it's never, it, it's it's fun because it really lets you fill in the blanks a lot. And he makes it scarier by only kind of showing you enough to be like, oh, this, this thing is fucking weird. Yeah. Uh, there's something about his artwork that's so distinctive that throughout the run of the series and especially with the short stories, he's had other artists draw Hellboy. Um, and some of them do a great job with it, but there's never quite Hellboy, you know? And that's yeah. because Mignola just designed him. Like there's, there are plenty of off instances where Hellboy is wearing a coat. And when Mignola draws him, his shoulders just disappear. <laughs> uh, it's mm-hmm. just like almost like a straight line that goes down. Um, and it's kind of just to show posture and whatnot. So character comes before um, verisimilitude or consistency. Uh, he's often drawn in silhouette or just bright, like you mentioned, like a lot of just red in order to signify he's the only character in this massive setting. Um, mm-hmm. It's funny, Rob Liefeld gets a lot of flack for not drawing feet, but Magnola does not draw feet. <laughs> He hates it. He talks about how much he hates drawing feet. And oftentimes they're very tiny, especially with Hellboy, they're little hooves. But he makes it work because he's a better designer. Mm -hmm. The pages are really beautifully designed. There's a perfect flow to them. And I don't know if there's another artist working now that uses shadow as well as he does. Yeah. And oftentimes there isn't a lot of detail. It's just about shadow that's creating the space. Um, or a couple of stray lines. 
even things that are supposed to be soft in nature when you see in a Hellboy comic looks like it could probably cut you Mm -hmm. because everything is jagged, jagged lines. Um, There's a crudeness to it that is so purposeful that feels like you could only get to by drawing for so, so long. Mm -hmm. It's not just like... um, It's something that I think you could easily take for granted, as I did when I was a kid. Um, and he's obviously refined his style. If you go to the early issues of Hellboy to the last issue, um, the way he draws people are a lot more... Uh, he's kind of simplified them, and he doesn't feel as beholden to the idea that they have to look like actual people. Um, and oftentimes, yeah, yeah. skulls are just kind of like these little circles with... They're very simple versions of skulls, but still very effective and very recon- recognizably his artwork. Yeah, it's interesting looking at the progression from Seeds of Destruction to In Hell because there was so much more detail. I mean, it was obviously singularly Mignola's work, but he, whether he um, kind of became more interested in abstracting it or just became more comfortable with with doing that. The other thing, too, is the collections have a lot of um, sketches and notes in the back and kind of seeing his process, especially the sketches of, of certain characters are so much more detailed than what they end up being. So even though they are these almost, um, just sort of combination of, of crude geometry and color when they get to the final page, a lot of the times, like he has a, he has that starting point where he knows where everything's supposed to be Mm -hmm. so that he can kind of like deconstruct it a bit. Um, which is and really... you know he also you know he also labors over this stuff. Oh. Hellboy in Hell, uh, the first issue, came out in 2012, and there are only ten issues of of Hellboy in Hell, and the final one came out in 2016. So four years for ten issues. I mean mm-hmm. that that's taking a long time. Yeah. Typically for the big comics, you know, there's one issue a month, um, and you know that that could be a bit excessive, but. I think it's probably because he also labors not only over the artwork, but also over the story. I think yeah. he's very much a person that, although the artwork is is bold and simple and very graphic looking, he's, it's still heavily researched. Mm-hmm. Um, he looks back through, uh, he travels a lot, he takes lots of photos, uh, he does a lot of research, especially because most of the creatures in it are based off of creatures from traditional folk tales, ghost stories, horror stories throughout the whole world. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, he's a very busy guy. Um, So there was a stretch probably from maybe like 2005 or so up until Hellboy in Hell where he was writing Hellboy, but um, a lot, oh, I think almost exclusively other people were drawing it. Um, So in, in the big... You know, let's talk about Hellboy in terms of like X Files terminology. There's the Monster of the Week stories, and there's the mythology stuff. Um, Mignola wrote and drew the mythology stuff up through up until Darkness Calls, which he continued to write, and then uh, Duncan Farrago took over uh, mm-hmm. drawing it. And I think he comes the closest out of all the yeah. other surrogates. I think he's. Sure. Uh, he's the most consistently um, respect. I don't mean respectful because they're all respectful of it, but like he hews the closest to Mignola's own hand while adding, you know, his own flourishes and details that yeah. 
that Magnola doesn't um, doesn't sort of engage with. Uh, but all I, like, I think he's also probably, uh, if you were to break it down, he's probably a better technical artist, a better draftsman maybe like there's a, a bit more specificity with his anatomy and all that stuff but that doesn't mean he's a better artist than Mignola I think right. Mignola is just um, there's a mimicry in what he does that I appreciate uh, but there's something about Mignola that's just you can't replicate uh, right and, um, and I think most other artists don't even try to and I think that works to varying degrees like I know um there is one artist and I can't remember his name, but he did the crooked man. Um, was were you thinking of Richard Corbin? Yeah. Yeah. His is very different from Magnola. Very distinctive. Um, his, his characters are almost like short and kind of squat in mm-hmm. a sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like his artwork. Um, there are other artists where I would never say any of the artists he selected are bad, but sometimes you just, when you're reading a Hellboy story, it's like I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to go see the cover band. I want to see the original. You know, right? So, um, and, but then in addition to Hellboy, he's also uh, there are numerous spinoffs. Um, several of the the other supporting characters have had uh, their own series to varying lengths. Um, there has been a long running BPRD series that deals with. Have you read any of the other series? Have you read BPRD or any of that stuff? You know, I think back. When it started, uh, I had grabbed a few, maybe the first couple of storylines, and I didn't expect it to go on as long as it has. Um, I'd like to go back to it. And I think there is another ongoing Hellboy story, but like set like in the 50s or something when he's Mm -hmm. still doing BPRD stuff. Um, So as I kind of said at one point, even though this is the last Hellboy story, you know, it's the character came to earth in the late forties and, you know, had 60 years of, of adventures to, um, you know, to continue exploring in other comics. So I think, you know, going into this, I mean, Hellboy in hell, it's at this, it's at once a very campy title, but also like, Oh man, he's dead. He's, he's in the, the one place he doesn't want to be anytime he's gone to hell before, like, We've seen glimpses of what happens, you know, his horns grow back and he sort of starts to come close to, you know, that evil prophecy, like taking over. Um, so it's kind of exciting to, to be like, oh, you know, I think I expected something closer to like a big final throwdown. Mm-mm. And what we find That's is the that preceding at, story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what we find is that hell is really just a kind of, a uh, sad, decrepit, and dying place because his years uh, of sort of turning his back on, you know, the one thing that these these evil monsters keep telling him he was born to do has uh, sort of upended the entire uh, geopolitical ecosystem of the <laughs> underworld. Um, everything's sort of decaying and, and falling apart. Um, you know, there's a bit of a a Dickens sort of Christmas Carol introduction where he's he's greeted by three ghosts in hell. Um, he has a very subdued confrontation with Satan. Um, some old family kind of come out of the woodwork. Um, 
but it is all very low key and meditative. Um, I don't, did you have any expectations kind of going into this, knowing it was the last story kind of like, you know, what were you expecting? I mean, I don't, I don't know what I was expecting, but I did feel while reading the preceding story, well, I, I had a hope that it wouldn't be this big epic showdown thing mm-hmm. because we had gotten that. I and mean, we've actually gotten that several times. Um, if that's one one thing about the series that maybe uh, is 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 a nick against it is maybe is that it's a bit repetitive in that here's a new monster for Hellboy to fight. The monster tells Hellboy that oh you're destined to do this thing, and then Hellboy has to defeat it. Um, that's the bare bones of, of the stories. And obviously like what makes it great is the, the visual language of it. And also, um, the weirdness of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was hoping that he would deviate and, and yeah, the, these last 10 issues are very, as you said, uh, meditative and more often told through other characters perspective, things that are happening to Hellboy. Um, I'll be honest, when I finished it, I was a bit startled that that's how it ended. Like, I was like, oh, I wasn't sure how many issues there are. They're separated in, even in the omnibus. It says part, you know, one, part two, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some reason, I thought maybe there were 12. And when I finished the last one, I was like, oh, I didn't expect it to end. Uh, and it was a bit abrupt for me. And I didn't, I'm not sure I got it. So I had to reread it. And I reread like the last three issues. Uh, mm-hmm. In order to try and connect all the pieces, because it's not, it's not super. Um, I mean, it's accessible, but it's not. He doesn't give everything up, you know. No, and I think, you know, I think he across the series. Um, I, I think if if you know we were talking about how sometimes the the artwork can can sort of. Um, tip into the world of abstraction. I think the plotting sometimes leaves a little too much up to the imagination. Less so with the one-offs. I mean, all the Monster of the Week stuff is pretty, like, cut and dry, like, Mm -hmm. this is the monster, this is the ghost, this is the job, let's just go deal with it. Um, But I think there are, there's a bit of... uh, a bit of uh, a leap of faith on the reader's part sometimes. Um, you know, getting from point A to point B, it's more of an A to, a to C kind of thing, and sometimes the B is missing, or feels that way. Um, yeah. I, I think the the ending really stuck with me, and I, I think because you don't, see it happen people just talk it's just a character telling another character about it yeah uh, and i think you, you you see bits and pieces and you see the aftermath did you did it make sense to you once you finished it at, at least sense enough for what you needed and wanted from the story i'm not saying that any story is beholden to um the person that is reading it or watching it or whatnot you know, it's it's not the story's job to make sense. But yeah. did you get what you needed out of that ending? Yeah, from I the think first so. from the first time you finished it. Yeah, I think so. And I think I think it definitely didn't you know, hammer I think a lesser sto- a lesser well, not maybe lesser. I think a more conventional 
story would have ended with, you know, and he fulfilled his prophecy by doing it his way and like, like just telegraph that and tell you. And I think, you know, in the, you know, in the end he did destroy a, a world. It was just not the world, the, you know, the demons and, 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 and hell knights who had been, you know, cheering him on for decades wanted him to destroy, but he did exactly Mm -hmm. what they wanted him to do. He just did it to them, you know, whether it's through brute force or just through ignoring them and sort of letting them sort of devour themselves. Like, I don't think it, again, rereading it helped me a lot to connect all the pieces. Um, I think one thing about Hellboy in general is there is a lot of folk tales. And like we said, he pulls from horror and folklore throughout all of history throughout the world. And sometimes it gets kind of dense with how many characters there are. Mm -hmm. And not that you're dependent on a lot of these characters for the story to make sense, but they do call back a lot to characters. Sometimes a character will show up um, in the penultimate issue of the entire series. His wife shows up um, and, uh, you know, that's from a short story. And uh, and I've read it all. And I was just like, oh, I I think I remember this. I think I remember this short story. So I pulled out the short story collection. And um, so I do think that the series as a whole would probably read better being familiar with it. Like once you've gone through it and, and you're, you're familiar with all the characters and and where it ends up, I think it will connect nicely upon a reread. There's a lot there, so I'm not ready to just jump right in right again and, and start reading it right yeah. away. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but I did really, once I reread those last few issues, it, it really did con- click for me. And I really love mm-hmm. the concept of what he was attempting for, for these last 10 issues. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, as I had mentioned, my introduction was the conqueror worm story, which, you know, at that point, I mean, the character wasn't even 10 years old. That was the third like mythology storyline. And then the rest were all sort of like filler and one-offs. And even that was really, you know, kind of tough to follow those four issues. But I think the, the sort of the strangeness of the world and the artwork was enough to sort of make be like, Oh, there's something here I want to dig into more. So I'm going to go back and read it. Um, you know, I, I did, I have not read the story where he gets married. I have the collection. There's a separate Hellboy in Mexico collection that has the, that one where he gets married, but then, uh, I think there's a, at one point there's a reference to him, being like, oh yeah, I spent this one year in the '60s shit-faced in Mexico and don't remember any of it. So this uh-huh. collection is just a bunch of one-shots, sort of um, recounting what that lost year was like, and it includes the one where he got married. But having not read that, when he encounters this ghost who's like, oh, don't you remember me? We got married that one time. I was like, oh, of course he did. And I think. <laughs> As as opposed to like whenever Baba Yaga shows up and I'm like, oh my God, I have to, I have to go yeah. back to Wikipedia and remember how come she has one of his eyes and what their deal was in the first place. And even like, and all the know, people that are working for ba- Baba Yaga and what they have against him and all that. And, yeah. and there's even one point where he has a romantic relationship with a woman and um, his history with her is that he rescued her as a baby. <laughs> so, 
Um, but that's how long he's been around is that she's able to become an adult and, and, mm-hmm. and, and has a connection to him because he rescued her. So yeah, it gets kind of complicated. I don't know if they're always necessary in order to understand like the, 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 the various plot points and Hellboy in hell does a good job of, there are a bu- no, number of moments where, where Hellboy himself sort of recaps things for the viewer be like, Oh yeah, like this is what happened to me. And it's kind of fucking weird, isn't it? You know, like he's always exasperated and like, yeah, yeah. you know, I didn't really want to do that. And I was offered a couple of things and oh, well, you know, here I am in hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, <clears throat> I think the run up to in hell, the darkness calls the wild hunt and the storm and the fury, that trilogy really gets dense. And on the, on the one hand, it's, um, you know, obviously it's, it, it makes it more difficult if you haven't been reading, but I did, I did think it was pretty rewarding that he found a way to bring a lot of this stuff back. Like one of the main bad guys in that run of, uh, of issues it was like a sort of like pig demon that he yeah burned with a, a a horseshoe in in a in a one-off years ago and you know the idea that there are these um sort of you know sea level demons and monsters who are just like oh that hellboy like <laughs> just been you know festering and resenting him for years and have uh, you know then show up and you know get tangled up in shit that's too big for them and it all blows up in their face. Um, there is a dense continuity if you want it. Eh, I don't know. Maybe that's not even the right way to say it because it is pretty tough to, I imagine it would be hard to sort of enjoy it fully without knowing all that. Like you said, like maybe this is strange that we're doing an episode on Hellboy in Hell because you couldn't just pick up Hellboy in Hell enjoy the story without really kind of knowing what precedes it. I, his artwork is just so striking that I think um, he, he, he could always get through it just by looking at the artwork, I, you know, and, and maybe taking it as this like abstract tale of this demon character that ended up in hell. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, but like the Wikipedia pages get, you know, pretty complex uh, pretty yeah. quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's get into the the ending ending. We might as well. Um, I know you had messaged me about uh, there's a moment where Hellboy kind of learns that uh, the place where he died, like a like essentially a world tree has grown in his place in for his sacrifice, and it's mm-hmm. all done in watercolor. And you said that it was very very striking, uh, and it was. That's a, a beautiful how that just these two pages are just it just goes from the usual coloring um, to like a watercolor style. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and before we get into that too, I think like it's worth mentioning that um, uh, the colors um, are, are all by Dave Stewart, who is just one of the greatest colorists in, in um, probably comic book history. He's, he's a mm-hmm. go-to for a lot of artists and he's, his work is remarkable. Um, but what in particular yeah. was striking to you? What, like why, why did that, moment strike like stick out to you uh it was such a strange way to see this world colored and and illustrated um it is so firmly been rooted in mignola's sort of uh gothic aesthetic but to suddenly like for those two pages for him to sort of have this brief 
exchange with uh, this woman, Alice, the, the woman who you had mentioned earlier, who he fell in love with, to sort of have this, you know, you're, you're almost being treated to the, this hallucinatory vision that he's getting. You know, this, this vision of, of new life blooming out of the, um, you know, near apocalypse that he, you know, prevented, you know, one last time. Um, and it was, it was just, it was just very striking to see those greens and those yellows yeah. and, you know, for it not to be like slime or frog blood, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a tree and yeah. it's this beautiful woman and this reassuring like, oh, like, you know, life sprouted where your body fell and like, we're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it was such a, a surprising, like, I think I said it in the text, even like I turned that page and saw that first panel and I was like, my jaw literally fell open. Uh, it was yeah. very surprising. Equally striking is how there are, uh, in the following issue there, or it might be the end of that issue. You know, the, the color gets stripped from the pages and, it turns all gray and there's a big river of blood and we we discover that Hellboy, we don't actually see him kill Satan, but he kills Satan. Um, and then the, the final few issues too are told through other demons saying, witnessing Hellboy's destruction. Essentially he does, as you kind of alluded to earlier, um, accept that he is the harbinger of death accepts his his position and what he needs to do and uh he goes through and wreaks havoc through hell and basically just wipes everything out almost mm-hmm. he becomes like a giant like a My, kaiju yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah there's he, this this through line that there are all these like minions of hell that are sort of getting antsy as you know the best laid plans of their masters start to fall apart um and there's this idea of like a a sort of rebellion of, of, you know, the, the lower demons and Hellboy sort of uses that at the end, you know, he's, he takes this giant demonic form, but also, um, you know, all these other, you know, they keep referring to them as, as slaves kind of revolt against, um, the masters of hell. Anytime before, whenever Hellboy has gone to hell, uh, his horns grow back, you know, he, he always, kind of keeps he has like what look like almost like two gog like goggles on top of his head they're the the stubs of his horns um there's one sort of iconic moment from an earlier story where he he grabs them both snaps them off his head and then like gores a demon with them but this there's a a, bl- a demon who's been rendered blind telling about this you know monstrosity coming to destroy the last masters of hell and the moment he goes blind is when it turns its back having sort of killed everything and then just like snaps off its horns and it's just this thunderclap and lightning and it's so powerful that it makes him go blind and that's it. And then Hellboy just kind of walks off and we don't know what happens to him. It kind of alludes that he, he gets that piece. Like there's almost yeah. like a bookshelf uh, and these, we see these three shapes that are just kind of floating in the air um, and there is like, uh, Mike Mignola has like a, um, like a postscript at the end of the book where he kind of talks about how he decided, like, he didn't know he was going to end the comic. He just finished issue eight and wrote the end. Um, and that's after we learned that Hellboy murdered the devil. Um, 
and he just said it felt right okay this is the ending and then the the last two are sort of like issues are sort of an epilogue um but then after that he also says there's a short story that inspired those shapes and he's like he thought about including it in the series proper but then decided against it and put it at the end of the collection did did you have that as well in yours or uh is that the one with the 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 coin the the demon that gives the guy the three chances to become rich uh the magician and the snake it's written by his daughter who is who is seven years old no i did not have yeah yeah it's in the it's in it's um it's after the this it's in the omnibus after the afterward um it doesn't really describe the three shapes as much as you'd maybe hope. Uh, I was just like, oh, I'm not entirely sure why, if they're important, why you're sort, why you're bringing it up now that they're important and not just some abstract visual thing. Mm-hmm. What, what did you make of these three shapes? It almost looks like Dungeons and Dragons dice. <laughs> yeah. Well, earlier there was um, that sort of yellow glow looks like something we did see earlier. Uh, there is one ghost who's talking to him about seeing all these souls leave people's bodies and those souls are represented as these red snakes sort of slithering in mass. And he says, but you know, I have also noticed, um, you know, the opposite is happening and it's shown a couple of, it, it, it flashes to a couple of bodies where these sort of glowing doves are, are leaving people's bodies. Um, and, you know, that color is kind of similar and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, like Hellboy says, he's already dead. So it's unclear what happens if you die there, too. You know, maybe this is, you know, maybe it's sort of representative of, uh, uh, yeah, whether or not he just stays in this sort of um, evilless expanse or or not. Like, it's sort of, it's I, for me, it's sort of signify that he sort of you know i they never explicitly say there's a heaven but they Mm -hmm. they this is the first time i feel like they really sort of strongly imply that there might be Um, but but they wait but there was one character that they mentioned oh crap and this gets into real biblical stuff like there was one character that created beelzebub who was from heaven and, yeah, they, and they, they reference do, him in, in they reference him in this, correct? Yeah, they they do talk about uh, angels in sort of like the Milton Paradise Lost sense. Yeah, um, you know, and I think, I, you know, I I think this world sort of exists as a hodgepodge of Eastern and Western spirituality and mysticism and and myth all kind of mashed up, and he he cherry picks what he he thinks is cool. Um, yeah, but you know, it's not yeah, like if, if, it's not like Jesus is waiting in like this Scottish <laughs> cabin to give him like a high five no, and a beer. I I feel like it's the type of thing that if if a form of heaven exists, it's just another faction of of people that want to gain control or have their own agenda. It's not like this place where Hellboy could eventually end up and ha- be at peace. I th- yeah, I, this seems to me at the end of this that he does have peace because there's nothing left to do and he. He finally, he finally did assume the mantle that he's denied his entire life, and, and um, 
destroyed a world. <laughs> just yeah. was not the one that uh, he thought he was going to. And I think what's really lovely too is uh, those last two pages sort of echo back to the first words that were said around him when he, mm-hmm. you know, cause it's got those text boxes where uh, shoot it, kill it. It's a demon from hell to destroy all. No, like a little boy, Hellboy is sort of kind of back and forth between the soldiers and Professor Broom when he, you know, emerged in a fireball. Um, yeah. So yeah, I thought it was lovely, and I um, we well, you didn't really talk too much about it, but the colors are very muted, and Hellboy is typically like iconically like blood red, and throughout this, you know, after. And even happens at the end of the preceding story when his heart is plucked from his body, like his body loses all that color. It's almost like a, like a, like a mauvey, like liverwurst kind of color, like mm-hmm. something dried out, you know, like the, the, the life's not, obviously the life's not there anymore. It's not exactly subtle, but like, it's interesting to see him sort of stripped of that and and he does sort of like decay and and he is infected with something at one point in this story but it's great when he like assumes like this giant monster form because then he's just like billowing smoke and fire and his horns grow and you see him from a distance and walking through mountains and you see a trail of fire yeah and he's got the wings and he holds up his hand and harnesses lightning with it and he's got the one mm-hmm. eye now so it's always cool to have just mm-hmm. and he's got a floating the floating crown above his head yeah there's one shot with him walking away he's got the crown above him yeah pretty great oh um, yeah actually yeah you're right the, they show him with that crown after he's done it after he's wiped everything out mm-hmm. so there it is he did it Hellboy, he won. Good, good job, Red. <laughs> yeah, I like I said, I think I look forward to rereading this. I re- look forward to revisiting this. Um, yeah, I'm 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 excited too. I sort of I'm at the point now where my comic collection continues to be whittled down to the 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 barest of bare essentials to hang on to for myself and then stuff I want to have around for when the boys are older. Um I'm not going to be giving them this too early, but you know, it's, it's there when they want it. And and I, and I'm excited to always reread this. Uh, I didn't read it all in one chunk. Like you did. I had reread the first half of the mythology stuff a couple years ago. Um, mm-hmm. and for this, for this, I picked up where I'd left off. Um, cause I've had all these collections for a while as well. Um, yeah, yeah. And and I spread out my reading over like a few months. I think it was like 3 months total. We yeah. talked about this. We, we had this on the the docket for a while and 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 gave ourselves enough time to read everything and not feel kind of and not feel rushed. Because there is quite a bit. And they do go by pretty quick. I think if you're not really like taking the time to soak in every panel, it's very easy um to really breeze through these. I think I read the two in hell volumes you know, in a day each, like on my lunch break yeah. at work. So yeah, there, these in particular are quick read. There's a lot mm-hmm. of, um, textless pages where it's just Hellboy 
um, journeying through hell. Mm -hmm. Um, So it goes by quick and, but it is something that you should probably pay attention to. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yep. Um, so cool. What, um, what would you recommend? Um, so, you know, I, I, I love Mignola's work so much. So if you're uncertain about Hellboy, I think one thing you could do is check out, he did an adaptation of the Francis Ford Coppola version of Bram Stoker's Dracula. (laughs) That was a mouthful. Um, uh, and it, it's, I mean, it's great. It's, it's essentially the movie with, um, Mike Mignola's artwork. So I, I know we're both big fans of the movie. So I wanted to mention that to you. I don't know if you've ever read it, but it's really cool. Um, this was obviously when the, that came out. So it was probably right before Hellboy. Um, but it's, it's gorgeous. It's great to look out. He also did an alien comic, which is pretty terrific. He did that for dark horse. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we're both big fans of the alien franchise as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I also wanted to recommend the Val Luton, um, horror movies. Uh, he did, he was like a producer, producer slash writer. Uh, and you know, everyone talks about the universal horror movies and, you know, we've talked about them before on the show and, and we both enjoy those quite a bit. Uh, and they're, you could see their influence on this, but I also feel like the Val Luton ones are, are probably equally influenced Mignola and cause they're a little more, um, contemplative he did cat people leopard man uh i walked with a zombie so these are all sort of b-level horror movies from the 40s uh that i think people that know about them treasure them Mm -hmm. Uh, they're really influential and especially for a lot of weirder b movies and horror movies and whatnot and you can see that all over these yeah what about you well i mean speaking of del toro i think um obviously uh i think he was more on people's radar post hellboy um you know between the hellboy movies and pan's labyrinth and the shape of water but um if you've never seen the devil's backbone uh i highly recommend that um and i think it's it's i think visually that movie is a is a very uh easy way to understand how del toro and mignola um sort of found themselves working together i think Mm -hmm. the the mood of that movie in terms of just the the narrative and the the visuals um are certainly of a piece with with the sort of stuff that um makes hellboy hellboy in a lot of ways yeah um i think they both get a lot of similar interests cool yeah go read hellboy um what what are we talking about next time um i believe we're doing justified yeah next time um, the Justin Timberlake's first record. <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I shouldn't be surprised. <laughs> that is a terrible name for a record, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Even if your name wasn't Justin. Yeah. No, we're talking about the TV show and, <laughs> and, uh, we're talking about the TV show starring Timothy Oliphant. Uh, mm-hmm. but we're also talking about the, the, books that inspired the tv show um starring the character raylan Givens, um who is the main character of justified and those are written by elmore leonard i thought you were going to say the book starring elmore leonard (laughs) (laughs) um yeah had you um had you ever read any elmore leonard 
prior to this? Never. Nope. None. Um, yeah. And I, now I'm now I'm a big fan. Yeah, I may as well spoiler? not have. I read uh, Rum Punch, which was the basis for Jackie Brown, and Out of Sight long enough ago that it doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm a big fan of the, both of those movies, so uh, I'm surprised it took me this long to get to mm-hmm. to reading him. But yeah, after reading um, a few of those books, I'm definitely hooked, and I've I've got a few more bookmarked to read. Nice. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about the show. Uh, I like Timothy Oliphant quite a bit, and I love um, Walton Goggins a lot. Yeah, he's so. great. Yeah, uh, he's he's good at chewing the scenery uh, when he wants to be. Yeah. Yep. He's even pretty good in uh, Predators. Oh man, that's right. I got I, I I got very high and it was very late, and I thought it would be a good idea to finally get around to that one. And I was quite bored, so I felt. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a bummer because the premise is so great, like the flipping the script on the first movie by taking the humans and bringing them to the Predator planet. Uh, come on, yeah. that's that's a that's a great fun idea. Yeah. Uh, and then it, and then it doesn't do anything particularly interesting, and then it has like a big twist with one of the human characters that you could see coming from a while away and it's just not satisfying in any way yeah Topher Grace is in it and he plays this sort of boring nerdy tech guy yeah and it turns out he's actually a serial killer oh. it's really lame I just watched it the other day only because I had rewatched the first one which is still great and I was trying to fall asleep and I was like oh, I'll just put this one on I don't I'd know why rather, I skipped the second one, but I want to rewatch the second one now. Yeah, I'm more interested in the second one, which I saw once on TV when I was a kid. I saw the second one before I saw the first one. I uh, think I did friend's, too. At, at a friend's sleepover party, um, I had a friend who would do like this yearly sleepover where we wouldn't sleep and we'd just watch a fuck ton of movies. Like we'd start and just go all night watching movies. And that's how I saw Highlander. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, it might have been Highlander too. Um, Blade, uh, Blade Runner, uh, Predator Two. Uh, there's a few other ones. What else? My f- was it Call? Is that the name of the movie? Call. Call with uh, Kevin Sorbo. Call the Conqueror. Yeah, is that the name of the movie? I think so. I wouldn't. I don't remember. Anyway, yeah. So Hold those on. are Call the. Yeah, Call the Conqueror with Kevin Sorbo. He, that was Kevin Sorbo? Crawl, that's what it was. K-R-U-L-L. Oh. Yeah. Very different movie. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> uh, justified. <laughs> justified. We're going to be doing Justified. We will... Yes. We'll see you next time, partner. Is that Cause like a Justified? Because like, he's like a cowboy, kind of, but... Yeah, because yeah, he wears you a get cowboy it. hat. Yeah. All right. I don't. Okay. Uh, all right, bye. All right, bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of What Did We Miss? You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at What Did We Miss? And you can send us an email at What Did We Miss Pod at gmail.com. And thanks, as always, to the Whatcheer Writers Club in downtown Providence, Rhode Island. You can learn more about them at whatcheerclub.org. And you can follow them on Twitter and Instagram at whatcheerclub.